your younger folks that are going to come in here, that are going to try to buy their very first car, the best piece of advice that I can give those people is... You're listening to the Auto Advice Podcast, brought to you by Toyota of Cool Springs. Welcome back, y'all. I'm so excited to have with us in the studio today, Ashley Calderon. She is a finance manager right here at Toyota Cool Springs, um, but she has been in the finance game for quite a while. Um, She's done a lot in her career, and Ashley, glad to have you. Glad to be here. If you don't mind, um, I would love to just share with our audience how you got into finance and then ultimately made your way to automotive world, and if you can just kind of tell us uh, about yourself. So it's kind of a wild story. I, um, I, I went to a Mazda store with my mom fresh out of high school, um, and she was buying a car. And when I graduated, I needed a job and couldn't find anything. And so I reached out to the salesperson. I still remember his name. His name was Doug Beatty. And um, they were hiring for a receptionist. And so I started working there, and I realized that I loved cars. I've hung out with car people my entire life, so it was kind of natural. And um, I stayed there for a while and, and started to sell cars and worked my way around the car dealership doing a couple of different things. And um, I did warranty work for Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, and Fiat for several years before I was granted an amazing opportunity to start to learn finance as an assistant. And um, so I left the warranty world and started playing with numbers, which was natural for me because it's the only language that I speak. And uh, yeah, it just, it kind of transformed into like this snowball thing and and now I almost feel like a, a finance savant. I just see things a little bit differently than everybody else does. And I've been doing it for about 10 years now. Mm. Yeah. I love it. So specifically what we're talking about today is advice for first-time car buyers. And if you were in their shoes, you know, whether you're 17 or 77, if you've yeah. never purchased uh, at a dealership before, take us through that and, and some best practices and uh, kind of what you would recommend. So first-time buyers are kind of a very unique situation, right? You've got, you have some people who have just never purchased a vehicle before, and they could be 18, 19 years old, or they could be in their 30s, so you just never know. Um, Some people are coming into the game with absolutely no credit whatsoever, and some people are coming in and they've already made some poor choices, and others have made really, really great choices. Um, So there's kind of a broad spectrum there. Um, When it comes to expectations, really, I think it's very, very important to know really what your affordability is. Um, What is it that you're looking for? Have you done the market research? Do you know what kind of cars are out there? What your budget is? Um, Do you really have all your paperwork in order? And so there's a bunch of steps that are to it. Um, So I figure we kind of just go through those steps and, um, you know, kind of go from there. I love it. People have asked us about this. I'm sure people have asked you about this, asked uh, our salespeople here. Yeah. Uh, and so what are those things that you should have with you if you're planning on making a car purchase? Yeah. So definitely with a first-time buyer, you want to be prepared for the fact that everybody's going to ask for proof of something, right? You're going to want to make sure that you've got your most recent pay stub, something that's dated within the last 30 to 45 days. Uh, you're most likely going to need a piece of mail, preferably a bill, like a credit card, or if your bank statement or even your pay stub has your current address on it to serve as proof of residence, that's super important. A lot of people make the mistake of bringing their parents' insurance cards, mm. right? So if you're actively in college, then your parents can 99% of the time still insure you on their insurance policy because you still live in their household. 
However, there are some insurance companies out there that won't allow you to insure a vehicle that your name is not on the title to. So sometimes mm -hmm. mom and dad can't keep you on their insurance. So it's very, very important that they make those phone calls and find out what that's going to look like for them and be prepared to call and have to get their own policy if that's what it comes down to. Making sure that you've got your down payment in order, right? So what a lot of people don't realize when they're buying a car, and this goes for first-time buyers as well as people that have been doing it for 10, 20, 30 years, is that most dealerships will not allow somebody to put more than, say, $3,000 on a credit card. Hmm. Um, in addition to that, there's a lot of banks that won't allow you to put your down payment on a credit card because you're essentially borrowing your down payment. So it's important to figure out, are you making one? How are you going to pay that down payment? And then being prepared to actually pay it when the time comes. It's important to make phone calls, you know, have a salesperson lined up, somebody that you've had communication with before you actually come to the dealership. If you've got somebody who already knows what you're looking for and that you've built some sort of a relationship with before you actually come in the doors, it's going to feel a lot more inviting, far less intimidating. Buying a car can be a scary thing, whether it's your very first time or it's the hundredth time that you've done it. You know, for somebody like me who I feel like I do it every six months because the wind blows in a different direction. It's important because it's still a scary process every time that you're going through it, no matter how many times you've done it, uh, whether you know the people or not, it's still, it's an intimidating process and it's lengthy. Mm. I remember, you know, the first time I ever purchased a vehicle, I didn't know half of those things. Yeah. And if I would have, probably the situation <laughs> would have been yeah. entirely different. Um, yeah. Now, as far as maybe younger buyers yeah. um, who maybe they're on their first or second job, um, maybe they're in college, maybe they're just the tail end of high school. Yeah. Um, you've talked a little bit about credit score, mm -hmm. knowing your credit score. What are some of those factors that we should know when we're going into a dealership uh, behind credit score? How does all that work? Just kind of paint a picture for us there. So a lot of people get the misconception, if you will, that the number is the only thing that matters. And it's absolutely not the only thing that matters. So there are certain lenders who your credit score in and of itself, just the physical number of it. And we're talking about FICO scores here, not the stuff that you're looking at credit karma, right? Um, a lot of people come in here specifically having looked at their credit karma or even the, the score that shows on their credit card statements, right? You can log into your app and it'll say, see my score. Those are Vantage scores. Um, it's just based off of publicly available information, and it's calculated, and it's a completely different calculation from what FICO uses. Um, so for, for those people specifically, please get the Experian app and look up your actual credit score before you mm -hmm. come into the dealership. Um, you'll leave a lot less disappointed. But, um, yeah, so your, your credit score is basically a bank's way of looking to see what your ability to repay your debts are and what your habits are when it comes to repaying your debts. So if you carry super high credit card balances, obviously your scores are going to be lower because you're borrowing more of what's available to you. Um, if you don't have any credit cards whatsoever, you've never borrowed from anybody that's been reporting it to the Bureau, you're known as a ghost is what we call it. Um, nobody knows who you are. In those situations, a lot of the lenders are going to be looking for, uh, it's called an SSA 89 form, and it's something that you fill out that shows your Social Security number, and they send it off, and they verify that you are the person that you say that you are because nobody knows, right? In addition to just having a score and what's there, like, you know, what types of credit do you have? So first-time buyers are not always people who just don't have a credit score, like we mentioned, right? Um, somebody who's just never purchased a vehicle before. I've had customers that have come in that are 30 years old that have a mortgage and 
umpteen million credit cards and there are certain banks that will still call them a first time buyer because they've never purchased an automobile before and borrowed the money against it. And those rates are typically higher in comparison to, to somebody who's purchased two or three cars and has a lengthy history of auto credit. Hmm. So it's important to know where you're going to sit and to be kind of prepared for that. Um, there's a lot of the younger generation specifically who have, um, say, a 720-plus credit score. They come in here. They've been blessed. Their parents made them an authorized user on certain credit cards that they had, and so they get to piggyback that entire credit history. Well, there's um, on, a, on your credit report, it reads a very specific way, and out to one column of it, it tells you whether it's an individual account, um, a co-borrower account or a joint account, or whether it's an authorized user account. And, and they're flagged that way for a reason. Obviously, if a 20-year-old comes in here and there's a credit card that's been open for 12 years, they know that that's an authorized user account. But it's flagged that way so that lenders can know that this isn't that individual person's account, um, that they're not necessarily responsible for making the payments, but that it's been there to, to boost somebody's score. So while it's advantageous to have those accounts, they also do count against you when you're looking at calculating like debt-to-income ratios and things like that. So it, it kind of, it circles back to a, a much bigger picture that your lenders are having to look at, right? A lot of people don't recognize that your credit score and, and the way that they base what your interest rates are going to be is based off of how much risk the bank is actually taking on by assuming your loan and loaning you this money to pay for this collateral. Um, and, and not a whole lot of people realize that automobiles are depreciating liabilities. They're not assets like a house, right? We don't make money off of them unless it's some specialty vehicle that you just got really lucky on, right? So yeah, having a better idea of what your credit score looks like, having a better idea of what kind of interest rates are out there, and not coming in assuming that just because your score is above X that you're going to have the best rates that are out there. Because in reality, a lot of these lenders, they just don't know what your ability to make a car payment is. People come in, they're very naive about it, and it can be kind of a harsh reality when you know that your credit score is something that's to be marveled at as far as the number is concerned, and then they hit you with what your interest rate is because you're a first-time buyer, and it can be a little insulting sometimes. Sure. That completely makes sense. If I'm maybe in that situation where, let's say I'm 20, 21 years old, yeah. and I don't have a lot of you know established credit, what are some ways that I can start to make some moves before I buy a car yeah. to make that overall picture a little bit more in my favor? Yeah. So the, the biggest thing is um, there's, a, there's a lot of negative connotations out there, right, for having credit cards. And the biggest thing is because people get them and they spend money that they don't actually have, and so they get themselves into quite a pickle. And what I've realized is that there's a lot of people that are, a lot of young people especially, that exist right now. And it's, it's one of two sides of the spectrum. Either they have a family unit that was very financially savvy and encouraged them to make really good credit decisions, or they had a family unit that did not make very good financial decisions, and so that's where they learned from. So I usually tell people, if you're wanting to make good credit moves, right, get a credit card, leave it open. There are certain places that you want to stay away from. Anybody that has a fee, do not get a credit card where they have an annual fee. Stay away from them. It's a bad idea. If you can get an account, keep it open. You know, you want to use it, you know, for the first couple of months and stuff like that, and then keep it paid down. Show that you're able to responsibly use your credit and not overextend yourself. 
um, and then just leave the accounts open. The biggest mistake I see is that people will pay off their credit cards and close them. Closing that account not only lowers your credit score because you've closed an account on your bureau, but it lowers like the average age of your credit and things like that. So establishing a credit score first and showing that you have an ability to make those payments obviously goes light years because the second that a score is calculated, now you're in the system. Now most of these lenders that are buying based purely off of what your score is, at least to be seen, have some way to calculate you and put you into whatever box that you fit in. Making sure that you've got good payment history, uh, making sure you've got good job history and things like that. Uh, your younger folks that are going to come in here, that are going to try to buy their very first car, the best piece of advice that I can give those people is save your pennies. Make sure that you're coming in here with at least the ability to pay like the taxes and registration for your car. Um, you want to kind of mitigate the bank's risk by loaning you this money, right? So anything that you're able to bring to the table, you're saying, okay, I'm putting forth this much of my own money and I don't want to lose that money, so I'm going to make my car payments. Having a stable job history. I mean, even if you've worked at Kroger for the last five years and you started as a checkout boy making $7 an hour, now you're making 15 if you've been there for five years, that's really, really good stability. And a lot of these banks look at that and go, okay, this is somebody who knows what they're doing. And they take those things into consideration. So yeah, there's a number of things that people can do just to be prepared for it. A lot of folks come in after they've just gotten their very first job and they've only been there for a couple of months. And the number one mistake is when they're filling out their credit applications. There's always a spot, right? And, and, and I find that I do it too. And a lot of it is you just, you don't think about, you know, well, what was my previous address or what was my previous job? You don't think that it's relevant information. So if you've just moved into a new home and you've only been there for six months, a lot of people just won't put their previous address or they won't put their previous job because maybe it was a different field of work. Doesn't matter. If you've only been at your current job for three months, but you were at your last job for five years, write it down. If I can give the bank that information, then they go, okay, so yeah, they've only been at this job for three months, but they've been stable for the last five years. Every bit of information that you can give them helps to at least establish a story of why this bank should extend credit to this individual. And that's probably the biggest thing that I have found as a finance manager that not everybody has the ability to see the picture of. Most of the buying process, on our side anyway, we're essentially getting your loan bought by a bank, right? So a lot of that process for us is having a relationship with these lenders. So the more information that you can give the person who has to submit your information to the bank, the better chance that I have of selling whatever your story is to this person on the other end of the phone and convincing them that you are a solid candidate for financing. And 90% of the time, if I've got a really good story that I can tell the bank, the chances are I'm going to get you a better interest rate, a better term. It's going to be a better bank. I don't like to set people up for failure. Like my goal personally when somebody leaves out of my office, especially if they're a first-time buyer, is that the next time that they walk in, they have all the tools and they're confident in the process and the procedures mm -hmm. so that the next time they come in, even if they're not here at my store, they're not going to be taken advantage of somewhere else by somebody who's not doing it to the letter of how it's supposed to be done. I love that. And it speaks to the role of somebody who knows finance, who's been in the, in the industry for a long yeah. time as, you know, being more than just somebody who's kind of checking boxes mm -hmm. saying, okay, do you want this? Do you want that? Yeah. But, um, I love that, it, you know, it seems like your mission is to educate yeah. and to actually set people up so that in the future, 
since this probably won't be their last um, right. you know, vehicle purchase or large purchase for yeah. that matter, you know, we're starting to understand not just how it works in, in car world, yeah. but how really how money works. We've talked a little bit about income and how to improve one's score. Yeah. Um, what about more on the practical side of figuring out what actually can I afford? Should mm. I buy this car? Uh, even if the bank says, oh, yeah, absolutely yeah. you can. Can I really? How do you gauge that and figure that out? So I'm actually very, very glad that you asked that question. Um, I, I used to get myself in a pickle sometimes because I try to treat, especially my younger crowd, the same way that I would like my little brothers. I've got 25-year-old brothers. They're college students. They're starting their grad program. And it's it's so often that people get this idea, this standard, it's, you know, those of us in our age group, we call it keeping up with the Joneses. That's what it's been forever. And you have this idea of your dream car and you're like, I finally have a real job. I'm going to go do this. This is what I'm going to do. And realistically, that's not always what's able to happen. Um, so we talk about affordability. What is your budget? What can you buy? Um, it is not uncommon, especially for salespeople, right? Salespeople's job is not to qualify you for what you can buy. That's, that's my job. Um, it's the bank's job. If you come in and you're like, hey, I'm looking for a 2024 Camry and I want the top of the line and I've got to have sunroof and leather and this and that and the third, but you make $14 an hour and you work 35 hours a week, that's a 40 plus thousand dollar car. Unless you've got $15,000 hidden in your back pocket, that's probably not going to happen. But as a salesperson, their job is to help you get what it is that you want without necessarily factoring in whether or not that's something that you can afford because that's a that's a later step in the process, right? So I usually tell people just to have realistic expectations of what it is that they're looking for. So if you come in and let's say, we'll just use simple numbers, right? So you make $1,000 a month. Most of your banks, um, a lot of your credit unions, they're going to limit even their most well-qualified buyers to somewhere between 40 and 52% of their monthly income that they can have going out in debt. So I can't, if you already have $520 a month going out on your credit bureau and you have to factor in rent that doesn't show up on your bureau, they're not gonna loan you any money at all because their guidelines have already been exceeded. In addition to that, most banks, I say most, most banks don't like you to go above somewhere between 15 and 22% of what your monthly income is in just a car payment. Um, so very similar to mortgage lending and stuff where they have very strict guidelines that your income has to meet compared to what your payment is going to be. And they do that so that there's not predatory lending practices, right? If I walk in and I make $2,000 a month and I say I can afford $1,500 a month because I don't have any other bills, that's great. Right now I might be able to pay that, but if my situation changes and I have to go get my own house or my house burns down or whatever the case may be, they still have to assume that you're going to have other living expenses that need to be met. So all of these things are put into place to protect you. Yeah. And while we don't necessarily like to be the bearer of bad news, it's it's also kind of our job to to help guide you in the direction that you need to be in. So I usually tell people on a first-time buyer, right? Average income most banks are going to want to see you under a $500 car payment. You want to make sure that you're, you know what your actual income is. A lot of people come in and they'll list their income on their credit report as what their bring home pay is, which can short you when you're submitting your application to the bank. If you're telling me you bring home $500 every week, 
Okay, so you make $2,000 a month, when in reality, you've got all of these other things because you have opted in for insurance and things like that, and what you actually make is about $2,700 a month. That's your gross pay before taxes. That's what the bank actually wants to see. And it's just little itty bitty things that you can do just mm -hmm. to really know what your budget is and what the bank will approve. Mm -hmm. So my biggest advice for that would be to actually calculate what your real income is and then figure out, A, okay, so what is like 20% of what my monthly income is? That's probably going to be the maximum amount that a bank is going to loan me as far as what my car payment's going to be. And then figure out how that actually fits into your real life budget. What other bills do you have? Is that even something that's going to work within your parameters? And then that goes back to reaching out to somebody at the dealership before you even come in, informing your salesperson of what your expectations are. This is what I think I can afford. And don't necessarily go to the very top of your budget either. There's all kinds of things that are available to you when you're buying a car that are designed to ease the burden of a vehicle ownership, right? And you want to make sure that you're leaving enough room in there for yourself to be able to even consider those things. I, I tell people all the time, like, you've got one of two situations. Like, you can either afford your car payment that's protected, or you can afford to pay cash for everything that goes wrong with it should you mm -hmm. not do the protection. Mm -hmm. And if, if the answer to both questions, yes, I can afford to fix my car if something goes wrong, and yes, I can afford the car payment that's protected, if it's yes to both, you can do whatever you want. You're in a very unique situation. If the answer to only one of those questions is yes, that's absolutely the option you need to do. And if the answer to both questions is no, you're buying a car you can't afford to own. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a it's a very real problem that people get themselves into because they don't understand that there's other costs associated with owning a vehicle like insurance and gas and maintenance and things like that that you have to keep up with. Yep, and that's such a good word. And you know, on the subject of younger buyers... You know, we've got a lot of people who maybe they're in their first job, but maybe they're still in school. Mm -hmm. um, I know Toyota does this. A number of other brands do yeah. this. But um, can you talk about any kind of college grad programs yeah. that may exist? Absolutely. So Toyota, which I love Toyota Motor Credit. They're, they're one of the banks that is very much a relationship buyer, right? If they've got a relationship with the dealership and a relationship with the finance managers that are calling in on the deals, um, it's much easier to facilitate a buying process for the customer. But they have a college grad program. The requirements for it are rather cut and dry. So if you are within six months of graduating from an accredited college um, for either a, like a two-year degree or a four-year degree, you can qualify as early as six months out. You just need to make sure that you bring a copy of your actual transcript that shows an expected graduation date that's within six months of the contract date. Okay. Or if you've already graduated within the last two years from one of those programs or you're currently enrolled in a grad school. So like a lot of the people who've graduated nursing and they're going on to, to continue their field um, and you're in a master's program, you'll qualify for a $500 college grad rebate. And then in addition to that, as long as you meet other criteria, you'll also qualify for the college grad financing program. So the only thing that they really require is that you've got the ability to pay the car payment. You've got to be able to prove that you make at least enough money to pay the car payment and any other potential bills that you might have. Um, if you haven't started your job yet, but you will be employed within the next three months, generally three to four months, um, and you can provide a job letter that says, hey, this person is going to be employed on such and such date, and this is what their salary is going to be, they will accept that. You can essentially be a zero credit score. 
as long as you don't have any real derogatory items, so nothing that's been paid more than 60 days late on your credit bureau, um, no charge-offs over $1,000. A lot of people don't realize, you know, once you turn 18, you're the person that's financially responsible for your own medical bills and things like that. Um, and you can have a minor medical charge offer, you know, $120 because you went to the Kroger Little Clinic and you didn't pay the bill. Those things, as long as they're under $1,000 in total, you'll still qualify for the financing program. So it, it does, it definitely makes the process a little bit easier. Now, right now, we're in such a, a weird market as far as interest rates, right? Everybody's insulted by the interest rates right now. Present party is not excluded. Sure. Um, <laughs> And, and so rates can be a little bit on the high side. Toyota is really, really good about trying to be very competitive with the rest of the lenders that are out there. But they're also one of those banks that if you get started with them and you pay them very, very well and you, and you show them that you're capable of making your car payment, that even if you have like a hiccup later on after and you never had any hiccups with them, um, they'll still continue to loan you money as long as you just don't go, you know, straight into the dumpster fire with everybody else. So it's nice when you have a bank that is not only willing to help you because you're a college graduate, and they want to reward you for that, but they also want to continue to reward you with other possibilities later on in the future to continue to be able to finance with them, even if your situation changes in the future. Mm. It makes it easier, too, to be able to purchase a brand new car versus something that might be significantly older. Your interest rates tend to be better on new cars than they do on your pre-owned vehicles. That's not to say that there's anything wrong with pre-owned cars. I've bought them, um, swear by them. I love my Supra, pre-owned, couldn't afford a brand new one. Um, but there's always a caveat to it, right? And so Toyota specifically, because we're a Toyota store, um, they will go above and beyond to make sure that they're able to provide lending to the people that are purchasing Toyota products, whether they're new or used. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, it's definitely something to keep in mind. I love it. That's really good advice. Um, when we're coming to the dealership, whether it's, uh, you know, first time or 50th time, mm -hmm. I know a lot of times it's uh, it can be intimidating. Yep. Give us a little bit of advice on, one, if we're just kind of coming to the store by ourselves, what should we expect? And then yeah. secondly, maybe we want to bring a family member or yeah. a friend along and, and what are some kind of best practices when it comes to that? That's that's a really good question. So um, in in the decade nearly that I've been doing finance, I, I have run into the friend that comes um, that probably should have been left at home um, and then the family members who are absolutely amazing, right? So if you're going to bring somebody with you, make sure that the person you're bringing is somebody that you absolutely are willing to take advice from, right? Hmm. Um, don't bring your friend who's never bought a car before. Um, they're, they're probably going to drive you nuts. Um, <laughs> it happens, right? Um, if you have a, a parent or close relative that you have a better relationship with and that you trust their financial instincts better than the next person in line, bring that person with you, Right. Um, somebody who's going to encourage you to make good decisions, but somebody who's also going to support that it's your decision to make. There's nothing worse than being in, in what we call the box, right? The dreaded box in finance. And you're going over really what your situation looks like. And you're going over all the options and your payments and things like this. And somebody starts being um, super negative about your experience. And they're telling you, that um, that they don't do this or they wouldn't do that. And it can be very, very anxiety-driven for you as a buyer 
when you've got somebody who's just trying to walk you through the process and make sure that you're legal and legitimate when you leave and that they go over all the options with you because that's our job. And then somebody kind of steals the thunder and, and just rips the wind from your sails. You definitely don't want to bring anybody like that. Now, if, if you happen to because they refuse to let you come alone and you really don't want them there, you can secretly let us know. We're more than happy to be the bad guy and tell them <laughs> that they're just not allowed in the office. It's fine. I've done right. it before. Sure. I've definitely done it before. But um, yeah, it's it, it can definitely be a stressful situation to do it on your own, but it can also be equally stressful if you bring the wrong person with you. Um, you also don't want to bring anybody with you that you don't want to know intimate details about your finances. That's a good point. Um, yeah. You know, it, there's there's a lot of private conversations that take place in the finance office specifically regarding your individual situation. We're going to talk about interest rates and term and things like that. And if um, if it's something that's going to be embarrassing or that you just don't feel like it's anybody else's business, then don't bring anybody at all. Mm-hmm. That's really good. And uh, I think it can make the whole situation less stressful yeah. when you know you've got the right person who's on your team. Uh, yeah. And if, if there's nobody on your team who's got nothing nice to say, then maybe right. just come by yourself. Just come by yourself. We're, we're here. We will adopt you. You'll become our family and yes. we'll give you all the mom advice that Absolutely. you need. I love that. I love that. And we've talked about so many topics. Yeah. I feel like this has been really valuable. What are maybe just some last pieces of advice, any other specifics to the process uh, that you'd want to leave people with? You know, know your budget know the the general pricing of the kind of cars that it is that you're interested in. The last thing that you want to do is come to the dealership and spend hours wandering aimlessly looking for something that sparks your eye. Um, the, the business in general has moved light years in advancement as far as being able to shop online, being able to talk to real people online, getting the information communicated back and forth with you. And it makes it so much less time consuming when you do make it into the dealership to be able to go look at the car that you specifically wanted to look at. Um, you've also already developed a relationship with somebody, so you don't feel like a stranger when you walk in the door. Um, having all of your items when you come in, making sure your down payment is in order, uh, knowing your credit score, being prepared for the things that are going to be presented to you, right? Just to be a little bit more informed before you come in. We're more than happy to walk you through the process once you get here. But if you don't feel like you need somebody to hold your hand, it's much easier to walk into the situation being confident because you already have the information that you Mm. need before you come in, right? Mm -hmm. I've done this for so long, and most of the people that I work with, um, you know, I've been with the parent company for this store for six years now. And it's been a blessing because I work with some of the most phenomenal managers that exist in the car business, right? Um, We all have our own little niche, and, and we... We work with specific types of customers as like a specialty, right? Most of us are always willing to get on the phone with somebody or to shoot an email back and forth and have a conversation to kind of walk you off the ledge of anxiety when it comes to buying a car. There's not a lot of people in this business that often remember that we do this every day. You guys don't, right? You do it, what, every couple of years at best? Some people do it once a decade. They're going to drive the car till the wheels fall off, put more wheels on it, and then drive it some more, right? That's right. That's what we're here for. That's that's what our job is. Our job is to provide you with the the highest level of customer service and to meet and exceed your expectations and how you're going to be treated. Most of us are going to treat you like family. So don't be afraid to reach out. You know, if you've got questions and you're uncomfortable with the situation, ask the questions. Mm-hmm. Um, there's mm-hmm. no such thing as a stupid question except for the one that you just didn't ask. Sure. And And I think that most people are just kind of intimidated to do that. 
the car business is kind of associated with such a negative stigma because of the way that they did things, you know, 20 and 25, 30 years ago. There was a lot of yeah. really, really shady practices that took place, but there's so many guidelines and restrictions that have been put in place now. The majority of us operate with a much higher level of integrity. The age group of people that are working in dealerships now, it used to be a bunch of old car guys, right? (laughs) Um, And they were scary and they were all smokers. And, you know, you were almost afraid to walk up to them and even say hi. Mm -hmm. And and now you've got much more college kids that are working in car dealerships. You know, we all have families who are a lot nicer to deal with. And, and that's what we're here for. We just want to make the experience as easy and practical as possible for you. So just pick up the phone, send an email. We're here. That's what we do. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Auto Advice Podcast. If you found this episode helpful, please consider texting it to someone who could use it and leave a review wherever you're listening, which will allow us to help more people navigate the ever-changing automotive world. The Auto Advice Podcast provides advice and opinions from individuals featured on the show. It is important to note that these opinions are solely those of the individuals and do not necessarily reflect the views or opinions of Toyota of Cool Springs. Listeners should exercise their own judgment and discretion when considering and implementing any advice or information provided in the podcast. Toyota of Cool Springs assumes no responsibility for any actions taken by individuals based on the information or opinions shared in this episode. Please consult with professionals or experts in the respective fields for specific advice or guidance related to your particular situation. Again, thank you so much for joining us and we'll see you next time on the Auto Advice Podcast.